Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. You can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, it's Eating Disorder Awareness Week and there are many myths and misconceptions around disordered eating and there's a stereotype, a teenage girl at a very low weight and of course, sadly, that is part of the story but we rarely hear from the male perspective. Just under a year ago, Keith Russell decided to share his story and his podcast and blog, Endless Spiral, speaks to people about eating disorders, health and life. He's been contacted by many men who applaud what he is doing, but they won't talk on the podcast. You'll hear from Keith later in the show. And Newfield Seeds was set up by chef Dennis Manska as interest in the nutrition of sprouts grew. And he was about to start supplying restaurants when COVID hit and lockdowns. And he redesigned the business to send out packs to homes, encouraging urban farming. It's been a roaring success. And I visited his factory during the week in Dublin to find out more. And John Belton is a personal trainer at number 17 and online and at the top of his Instagram page, he proclaims to help people live to their true potential. Well, he's a man of his words. He left Ireland during the pandemic for new adventures. And a few days ago, he took part in Beyond the Ultimate Ice Ultra, 230 kilometres in Bowden, Sweden. And you can hear about the blood, sweat and banjaxed feet a little later in the show. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? There is a lot to process, isn't there? A mix of emotions with what is happening in the world. Shock and horror as we look on, a sense of hopelessness as we try to figure out how we can help, a feeling of guilt as we at times get to turn off and return to our normal lives. It feels wrong in some ways that life does continue in one part of the world when in another it's upside down. But we can't just sit and brace ourselves for what to come. We can't immerse ourselves in it 24-7 either, as it won't help the situation or the people around us here who need us. So it's important to mind your energy. We do need to limit our consumption, lean on the tools that we use during pandemic panic, which now in hindsight seems to be like a cakewalk for the majority in comparison to war. But The getting out of the house, the focusing on what's important now, the using your breath and making sure you're minding yourself, eating well, sleeping well, whatever is ahead, there is no point in any of us going to pieces. And of course, we can help. People are sharing information, going to peaceful protests, donating if they can. It all adds up and I'm sure the solidarity can be felt. I heard on one of the parents' WhatsApp groups of a truck going to a refugee centre in Poland. Now, I know the charities are now asking for monetary donations to save them having to distribute physical items, but this was a different situation and it felt so good to be actually doing something positive. Now, it also felt utterly heartbreaking fulfilling the requests for sanitary, personal hygiene products and things like colouring books for kids, but it was doing something. And there was a house who had given over their garage as a storage until the truck was loaded and left. And when I pulled up there one evening, there was already somebody there offloading a load of boxes. But they seemed to be going into the house. So as I walked up to say hello and see what the story was, I could see the hallway there was piled high 
and the garage was too full as well. That's why it was going towards the house. So I carried in what I had. And as I drove away with a wave to those lovely people, another car was pulling in. And I hosted a panel this week ahead of International Women's Day next Tuesday. And the topic was using social media platforms for positive change. And as my final question, I asked the panel, Cassie Stokes, Miss Ireland, Pamela Uba and Jennifer Carroll, if they were hopeful for change. And they each said a variation which ultimately outlined their faith in people and that this was where their hope came from. And I feel the same. That example I have of people dropping off boxes is such a small part of the outpouring of help and support that is ongoing. There are more good people in this world than not. And that's what I'll be hanging on to. There is a brilliant book by a former Syrian refugee who now lives in the UK and he knows this story only too well. It's his memoir and it's entitled Hope Not Fear. And he writes, I've experienced the worst of humanity. I've been detained and beaten and welcomed and respected. And yet this story, my story, is one of hope, not fear. At the points I felt like giving up, I've often been buoyed by unexpected acts of generosity Time and time again, bright spots of goodness have helped me just when I needed it the most. Reminders of connection. And speaking of connection, I was at the National Concert Hall last Sunday for Soul Space with Jeremy and Miriam Hussey. And Martin Kelly from Cork came over to say hello, that he is a fan of the show. He had heard about Soul Space on the show and he was out there spreading the word um, to his friend in New York who is now a listener. So thank you to Martin. It was lovely to meet you. And to anyone who contacts the show, I had an email from a lady called Catherine recently who had an issue with our piece on, on fertility. So not all emails have to be good. I'm always happy to hear from listeners. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, it's Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Today is the last day of the week. So a warning, we will be discussing issues that may be triggering for some. But the more we talk about the spectrum of disordered eating, the less stigma there will be and the more people will reach out for help. And recovery is possible. The Journal.ie have a brilliant report on their site at the moment, looking into the services and lack thereof for people But there is support available. Specialised care, accessible for all, was recommended in a 2018 report. And that hasn't happened yet. COVID is just one of the issues which has delayed it. But if you do need help, BodyWise, the National Organisation for Eating Disorders, can help. And you don't need a diagnosis for advice. You'll find them at bodywise.ie and you can call them on 01210 Now, we have discussed eating disorders on the show before. We have had a couple of people who have lived through them, who are recovered from them now, and those who work to support them, but Keith Russell, you are our first man. You're very welcome to Alive and Kicking. Thanks very much, Claire. I'm delighted to be here. Now, you have had quite a whirlwind, haven't you? Because it's only in the last year that you've begun talking about this yourself. Yeah, I mean, it was nearly this time last year when I wrote my first blog. And that wasn't even anything to do with food. It was all about just my you know anxiety and my mental health. And then somebody mentioned body dysmorphia to me because I had picked up on a few things that I was saying and then I looked it up and then my world life changed overnight when I heard that term. And what led you to write that blog that day? I have no idea. I have been living with 
anxiety and depression for a long, long time. I mean, it's turned out I've been living with all like these conditions for over 20 years. The pandemic hit. I was working from home. I don't know why. I, I suppose I, I wanted to share for a while. Um, and I don't know, maybe the day just felt right. I don't really know. I wrote the blog and I sat on it for about two weeks. It was more just for myself. Maybe like, you know, the pandemic hit and I was feeling a bit more anxious and a lot of people were telling me to try journaling and I just, I wrote a blog and I posted it online and it went from there really. And people often say you never really know what's going on in people's lives and I mean, I know obviously we'll get into some of the issues and, and the things that you've lived with but... Ultimately, you're a fully functioning adult. You have a job, you have a partner, you have kids. You're moving through life and all the while carrying this. Did you feel that there was a better kind of atmosphere out there to speak about anxiety and depression, but we're not quite there to talk about eating disorders? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I was actually thinking about this last night and you've you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what it was. I was more comfortable talking about anxiety and depression. as exactly as you just said, because there's less of a stigma at the moment. Um, also, I suppose I've been wearing this mask for a long, long time. And because I'd never really, I'd never heard of the term body dysmorphia and I'd never heard of the term binge eating disorder. So I suppose I was just kind of living in the shadows for a long time, knowing I had an issue with food and I knew I had an issue with myself, like body image and stuff. But I never really dealt with it. You know, I just, I went on, you know, and I went for therapy when I was in my teens, no, in my 20s for depression and in my 30s for anxiety. And I never spoke about my body shape or my body issues. I never talked about food. It was all about kind of family or work or career or whatever. And when I discovered the term body dysmorphia then I was kind of like oh my god I've been living with this condition for 20 years I never knew that there was a label for it I just thought it was how I was I was just thought it was how I felt and yeah it was it was an emotional time but it was for the last 20 years it's been very lonely very isolating physically draining mentally draining and it's just a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders when I was eventually able to say you know what Let's just deal with this now. And how was it manifesting for you? You've spoken about anxiety and depression, but the body dysmorphia and the issues around food, what was going on for you? Well, I started to really just not like myself in my early teens. And it just got worse and worse. And like... I would sit there and I would list everything on my on my fingers that I didn't like about myself. And I would do that daily. And when you start telling yourself these things over and over, you'll eventually start to believe them. And my kind of deep dislike of myself had turned into anxiety. But I was linking the anxiety to other things, you know. Like my like the body dysmorphia, or at the time I didn't know that, it was my my issues with myself. I like I distanced myself from friends. I stopped going out places. I didn't want to go anywhere. Even even like when I had kids, I didn't want to bring them to a swimming pool. When I was in work, I didn't want to sit a certain way because I thought people would be looking at me. 
if I'm in a car and I'm in traffic, I don't like, I get really anxious when people pull up beside me because I don't like my side profile. So I would be putting my hands up to my face or I'd look away and it like it would, it would kind of control every day. And, you know, even if I had to go out for 30 seconds, even, and I'm talking about recently now, even just to go and get my, my kids down playing on the green, I'd put a big baggy hoodie on because I'd be self-conscious going out to get them. Um, and that, like I said, that that's only recently, you know, but it was worse, much worse in the past. And you set up your website for the blog and it's now a podcast and you called it The Endless Spiral because that's what it is, isn't it? There's yep. no end to it. It's just going down and down and down yep. and down. So what was the difference then once you had those words, body dysmorphia and eating disorder and what have been the the building blocks to now once you had that? Well, once I knew there was a label or or it was called a certain condition, I suppose I was able to realise that it's not just me. If If there's a label for this, then obviously other people feel the same way as I do or did. So, like, that was great because then I could... Like you mentioned, uh, body-wise, I was able to kind of go on their website and like research body dysmorphia or body dysmorphic disorders, as also known as. I was able to share my story, so everyone around me started to realize what I've been going through. So that was great, um, and just being able to educate myself, and as I said earlier, to kind of come out of the shadows a little bit more, you know, and um, and then obviously once I was starting to educate myself and I was listening to, I had great guests on the podcast were dealing with similar issues. It just really kind of inspired me to be able to say, you know what, it's time now I sorted this out. It's been too long and I've already started the process. And then also it was kind of like, well, if I'm, if I'm inviting other people on the podcast to share their story, maybe I should be doing the same, you know? And then it just kind of snowballed really. I mean, one thing led to another and then I spoke to my therapist and about the body dysmorphia and then I had spoke to a nutritionist or a nutritional counsellor and they were, you know, explaining to me, say, like, intuitive eating has helped me a lot and all these type of things, you know, where before I was just completely in denial, you know, publicly in denial. Personally, I knew I, I, I had, a, you know, a huge dislike for myself and I had a huge problem with food because I was bingy all the time and I was comfort eating, I was emotional eating, you know. And then when I do that, I'd want to purge it up because I was trying to exercise but then I couldn't even go to the gym because I felt anxious and self-conscious and I tried to work out at home. And then, like, because I was doing it for the wrong reasons, I wasn't sustainable. So eventually I'd fall off the wagon again. And then, as you said, that's where the endless spiral went because I, I just felt I was always caught in an endless spiral. I mean, I don't know how I haven't named one of my kids the endless spiral <laughs> because I've had that term in my head for a long time. It came quite naturally to call it that. And you have had men contact you through social media, you know, even to the blog, but they want to remain anonymous. They're not as open to talking about it. Um, and it's it's really sad to, to see that, isn't it? That there isn't a safe space mm. yet. And you are paving that way with what you're doing, but that men are going through this and they don't feel like they can say it. Yeah, I, that's exactly what it is. It just seems to be a massive stigma with men and this particular topic, whether it's mental health in general or 
but especially eating disorders and body image. You know, I mean, especially even for me because I was a little bit older, like I'm 41 now, and I felt even more of a stigma because I was kind of like, people would be judging me thinking, how have you let this go for so long? How have we not dealt with this before? And because I look perfectly normal, you know, I don't look like someone who would have an issue. And that has always been the case. I've always looked normal, if you want to use that phrase. So no one had ever, would ever comment to me. So I never had to deal with anything really because I don't fit that stereotypical image of someone with an eating disorder or body image issues or whatever you want to call it. You know, and I think the, the guys I've spoken to have all pretty much feel the same way, you know, because they're a guy and maybe they're, you know, this image of the masculinity and you're supposed to be strong and all, all this type of nonsense, really. That's where I think the stigma comes from. That idea of it being important to talk, I think that got said so many times around mental health and that was really important. But then it started to lose its value. But you've really encapsulated that in your recovery because it was talking about it that made you realise that there were more people out there feeling the same way as you. You thought it was just you and you were trapped in that. And I'm sure you've guests in front of you now that you're like, how did you feel bad about yourself you're you, you know yeah. you're great and obviously everyone's thinking that about you you know yeah. nobody is looking at your side profile in the traffic nobody but it, this is what we tell ourselves in our in our inner story and the minute you break it yeah. and start talking about it that's the first step isn't it yeah exactly I mean like I've I, I like I said earlier I have 20 years it's probably more of just like just being isolated not saying anything to anybody and the time just ticks on and on and on and you don't get any better. You don't get anywhere. You don't deal with anything. And I've never felt better about myself sitting here right today speaking to you, Claire. I've never felt better about myself than I have ever had. And that's the, and that's the God's honest truth. I've never felt better because I'm proud of myself for addressing it. I'm proud of myself for trying to at least, you know, advance myself. I'm proud of myself for helping other people share their stories you know, the self-sabotage isn't happening at the moment. Um, let's hope it stays like that. Um, and But if it does, I've I've learned tools in the last year that I'm, I'm being able to, like I said earlier, change my thought process and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I feel so much better by just sharing. Yeah, it's and amazing. it's amazing. Mm. It really is. And, you know, you have a popular podcast. You've written articles for national newspapers. I know you're looking into making a bit of a documentary series and you're using your negative experience to try and, and help other people and that can only help build your self-worth and so it should. You should be very proud. Keith Russell, thank you so much and you can find Keith at theendlessspiral.com. A new field seeds was set up by chef Dennis Manska as interest in the nutrition of sprouts grew and he was about to start supplying restaurants when COVID hit and lockdowns and he redesigned the business to send out packs to homes encouraging urban farming. It's been a roaring success and I visited his factory during the week in Dublin to find out more. So I'm here in a industrial estate in Finglas in Dublin on a grey day but I'm about to go in for some nature therapy. I'm outside Newfields Seeds Factory and I'm going to go in to meet Dennis Mansk to find out more. Hi Dennis. Hiya, how are you? Come on in. This is your empire. This is it, yeah. Upstairs. Humble 
Yep. I see lots of green already, lots of plants. So in here? Yeah, so this is our, this is our office slash grow lab, I guess you could call it. Um, this is where we kind of experiment with growing uh, all the different types of seeds and stuff that we sell. From microgreens and sprouts to chilies, tomatoes, melons, cucumbers, and it's all grown indoors in special tents uh, or on our windowsill. So we try to cover the place with as much living food as, as we possibly can. So how did all of this start? Where did your interest in any of this come about? Yeah, so um, I, I my background is kind of uh, 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 as a chef. Um, so I started, I came across microgreens, uh, which are basically little seedlings of, of any vegetable um, that we use to garnish kind of plates in, uh, in, in restaurants. And I started, I just became fascinated with them, the amount of colours, textures, flavours that you could, um, that you could uh, kind of use to garnish your plate. So... I started looking in how to grow them uh, and it turned out that it was incredibly easy. Uh, they, they grow in about seven to ten days and you can grow them on your windowsill. So um, I started kind of dabbling with growing them myself at home uh, and realised that I could turn it into a business because uh, there just wasn't the, the variety and, and selection available. I basically uh, quit my job, poured all my savings into a vertical farm in my house. So I was just growing, bought some shelves, LED lights and a lot of seed and trays and stuff and uh, just started with microgreens um, and eventually I'd, I'd signed up a few uh, restaurant customers in Holt and they absolutely loved the idea so just as I was literally about to fulfill my first order to them, Covid uh, forced them into a lockdown so I was stuck with all these seeds and trays and soil and everything and, and not a clue what to do with them so my friends started asking me would you mind if, because they were all you know bored sitting at home, would you mind if uh, if you taught us how to grow it. So that's kind of when the light bulb moment came and I started making kits. So that kind of escalated then into all the stuff that you see now. So like our, our goal is to, is to bring the farm into people's home, to simplify urban farming and to make gardening accessible even to people that you know, may live in a 10-story apartment in the, in the, cen in the centre of a, of a city or whatever. And it's absolutely flying. I mean, I can see down the corridor there, there's packing going on, there's boxes everywhere going out. Like this is flying for you yeah no it's 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 gone really well like we were kind of worried that maybe just um it was a lockdown phenomenon kind of thing like obviously people were at home and they wanted stuff to do and they were concerned about their health and and, and stuff like that so it hasn't kind of uh, stopped since so amazing so let's have a little bit of a tour and what we're looking at here i mean i think if a guard was to walk in and see these big tents yeah they could be a little worried but everything in here is fully legal now it is yeah uh, and we have so in this tent we have um some of our tomato varieties grown so uh, you can see like we, uh, we have like a really nice black it's called uh, queen of the night tomato there i've never seen a black tomato yeah no it's, it's and like it's all like so these these have all never seen um sunlight so you know, the, the fact that you can you can grow these, uh, like if you have a one by one meter square patch in your house, you can grow tomatoes, melons, cucumbers. And do we need this tent? So I'm looking at a big black tent. It's like fully insulated with a lamp hanging down on it. Yeah. And that's the perfect condition for these tomatoes. Yeah, so the, the tent kind of creates a little uh, environment. So it's easier. So instead of having to heat a whole room, uh, you can you can kind of just heat a little section. Um, and it keeps the light, so the, the walls of the tent kind of reflect the light back in, so it just makes it way more efficient. The lights as well are, are LED, so they're, they're super low input in energy-wise, but they put out a lot of, of, uh, of light energy, which is plenty for pretty much any, any kind of vegetable that you need to grow. 
Um, you don't necessarily need a tent if you have a kind of a, a, a cupboard or a nice little corner. You can you can make it work that way as well. Uh, kind of growing your own food. You could probably uh, start with some of our other things like the microgreens or sprouts. Yeah, show us what's here. So we have shelves here with the the boxes, and the, these are the sprouts that I think people might be familiar with, like. Yeah the crest that you'd see, as you say, as a garnish on the plate, which quite often just gets scraped away. But now we're all into this superfood and nutrients and getting as much out of our food as we possibly can. So what's the deal with sprouts? Yeah, so uh, like here we have, so I think there's about 12 maybe different varieties. We stock about 50 different seed varieties, mixes of seeds. So um, broccoli and kale kind of mixes and stuff like that uh, that grow well together. But it's basically, uh, so what, what you see here is... is as all th these are about eight days old now um we have like broccoli rocket uh kale there's some amaranth cabbage sunflowers peas carrot and these are also they're basically just the seedlings of the vegetable um if you planted these seeds in the ground they would grow into into the, the mature vegetable but what happens is uh once this once you start germinating the seeds they start rapidly producing vit vitamins which helps them heal their cells and, and to, to grow very quickly and so when you harvest them at this stage they're just very very they have very very condensed high levels of nutrients that, that we then benefit from. And you know all vegetables are, are good for you to be getting them into your diet but I suppose now if we're buying them in a supermarket they've been flown in from god knows where hanging around for god knows long wrapped in plastic but not only that, with the nutrition side of things, you're getting a really good buzz out of it. I've had lots of guests over the years talk to me about nature therapy, especially if you've kids getting them involved, they're more likely to, to eat it because there's a pride that comes with it. So do you get that kind of feedback from your customers? Yeah, 100%, uh, especially with kids. And, and that's that's one of the, the best things that we hear really is um, parents that have, you know, picky eaters at home that that won't eat their broccoli. But once they, once they kind of use one of our kits and they grow some broccoli microgreens every day it changes a lot you know they, they get like a centimeter bigger or they they go from bent over to standing up straight or they turn from yellow to green and it's just a fascinating process that kids really really get engaged with and so now we have parents that say oh they they never used to eat broccoli but now they're growing their own food and gobbling up their their veggies like you know and there's a real good feeling isn't there to, to growing your own stuff you know to, to to get that feel good factor not only because of climate change and sustainability but it is a very personal success feeling yeah absolutely yeah so it's it's, it's you know because I look like, I grew up in in the city center uh, of Dublin and uh, I was just always you know I, I'd, I'd kind of grow stuff on my windowsill or on my wall or like you know it's just there's something that draws you to and connects you to really to nature when you when you kind of are able to grow your own food and you see it grow and you, I think it makes you appreciate the value of food a lot more as well instead of just kind of going into a supermarket and, and assuming that that's that's where food comes from kind of that you know it, it does really connect you and kind of lets you take a take a breath when you kind of come home from work and you look after your little kind of garden even if it's on your window so uh, it just gives you a breather kind of yeah. and so what can we grow at home we can grow these sprouts like you said um these are chilies tomatoes what else grows well even just on a windowsill yeah so I, for even for beginners um so we do spr sprouting kits so we have uh jars that you put the seeds in it's the same as the microgreen seeds you put a scoop of seeds in you rinse it twice a day for maybe five days and that turns into an absolute m massive portion of, of sprouts which have the same kind of uh, you know nutritional benefits uh, as the microgreens, but just they're they're a lot quicker, and you know you, you put a scoop of seeds in a jar, and five days later sprouts come out, so there's zero waste. Um, 
and so that that's kind of that's why we like the majority of people that that kind of come and, and buy stuff off us first they start with that uh, then maybe they'll progress to the microgreens um but we do we, we do kind of grow bags for like baby leaf which is kind of the next stage on from from uh from microgreens so we, you can grow spinach uh kind of a, a mix of asian leaves lettuces then we have um chilies as you as you see melons cucumbers uh squashes like these can all you can, anything that you can grow outside you can pretty much grow in in a tent um yeah. melons yeah in Ireland, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, yeah, no, there's a little that, that's going to turn into a melon soon. <laughs> um, yeah, some some need a little bit of extra care of, of because you need to kind of pollinate the flowers and stuff like that. So, so that's where, um, yeah, it does take take a little bit of kind of extra work, but but it, it really does pay off in the end. Yeah. We'll take a stroll down to to the factory. I mean, is this where you saw things going, Dennis? I know you had a love for food being a chef, but. Is your business surprising you with the way it's evolving? Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, like, originally, was, I was kind of starting, like, I was essentially a, a, a farmer, you know. And uh, what I did notice that when I was looking to buy all the stuff to, to start the business, um, I, I, you couldn't get it all in one place. So I kind of, that was a little thing in the back of my mind that there was a potential there for someone to kind of supply all these bits uh, to, that, you know, would help people grow stuff at home. So it just kind of, like... Like gradually, but also very quickly, in the in the last year and a half, kind of um, progressed into into all the stuff that we do now. Like, yeah. and now you're sort of being led by customers and what's popular. Here's where the real work happens. We've got a bit of packing going on. Um, there's so many orders coming through. Yeah, so this is a big order for a corporate uh, client that we're doing. So uh, we we get a lot of orders from from companies that that are kind of looking to promote wellness and and kind of healthy eating and stuff with their with their staff so um yeah this is these are some of our sprouting kits it's a kind of a sample kit so you get to try six different seeds uh and you, they're they're going to be uh, kind of sharing recipes and everything with, with with each other and so yeah looking forward to seeing how, how they get on, on with them corporate wellness is huge now isn't it and it's yeah. really nice to see you hope it's not just box ticking but whether or not it is there's still a lot of staff members getting a sprouting kit and getting a start. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. And it's 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 like the feedback that we've been getting is is just incredibly positive. And a lot of those pe those people that get given them as a gift by their employers then actually become kind of long term customers with us as well. So it does really have uh, you know kind of really powerful benefits for for their kind of well being and, and and their diets and everything. Yeah. Uh, Cormac, what's your um set up here how do you make sure you remember to put everything in is there a strategy uh so it's just two of everything for the sprouting kit tonight which is handy and then yeah just double check everything um before you put it in i suppose that's the only strategy check check make and double check well i will say they had news talk on i they had to turn it down so it wouldn't affect the sound but that also helps you get through i'll let you get back to work thank you so so much yeah no thanks thanks for dropping by i'm glad glad you got to see what we do and I'm definitely going to take a few seeds with me and get going. Yeah, no, we have some kits made up for you, so you can, you can take them back. Cormac, I hope it was checked, checked and double-checked. <laughs> Thank you very much. John Belton is a personal trainer. His business is number 17 Personal Training, and he has at new. And at the top of his Instagram page, he says he helps people live to their true potential. Well, he's just pushed himself to the max at Beyond the Ultimate in Sweden, a race through 230 kilometres of snow and he is on the line now hello john how are you hi 
Claire, how are you? I'm doing okay now. I'm doing better than I was last week. Now, before we get into the race and the recovery, I, I just want to take a moment for that line. I like that you talk about living to potential rather than just focusing on losing weight and toning up. It's nice to hear from a PT. Yeah, well, I've a lot of experience in, in this industry. I've been in it for over 20 years. So I suppose, like most coaches, you go in with one plan thinking you're going to do something. But as you develop as a coach and develop, you know, your, your kind of mindset and your coaching skill set, you see that there's a much bigger picture going on than simply just getting people to drop a few pounds, that there's a there's a bigger a bigger problem at stake. Um, and a lot of times if you don't delve into some of those issues and and help people realize their full potential, then, you know, you, you just keep seeing the same people coming back to you six months later after they've lost the weight, you know. Amazing. Well, look, you were speaking my language. Tell us a little bit about this plan of yours to go through the snow five marathons in five days how did it all come about it came about like a lot of great things in life um a little bit of a challenge that was put to me by a friend um i was training uh vogue online one day and her husband mentioned he, he was like why don't you do a race together i said yeah and he said the ice ultra and i said yeah no problem not knowing what i was taking on and not knowing when it was so um look i signed up and we went for it and we had seven weeks to train uh, um, look, prep was not ideal, let's just say, but we managed to get fit, get our kit together, put a plan in place and go out there and, and, and represent as best we could. Um, an absolutely amazing, amazing experience. And, and I've, I feel very fortunate to have been able to do it in such a short timeline. A lot of people plan for about two years to do this event. So uh, it, it was a whirlwind from start to finish. We left, we left Portugal on the... I'm going to say the 10th or 11th of last month and drove up in a little camper van all the way up as far as Stockholm. Then we had to get a four by four from Stockholm up to get used to being in the snow. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm out there standing in the middle of the last piece of wilderness in Europe um, worrying about frostbite on my thumb <laughs> and trying to trying to survive. It's, it was, it was, it's been a crazy few weeks. Because five marathons in five days in a climate that we're used to would be really tough. But this is taking it to a, a whole new level. Uh, yeah, it was extreme in that sense. I mean, look, at, when it comes to an event like this, this is called a multi-stage ultramarathon. So it was actually a self-sufficient multi-stage ultramarathon in the sense that we had to carry all our food, all our supplies, our clothing, you know, uh, like a power pack for your phone, survival kit, all of those bits and bobs because um, this event is about... It's, it's about the endurance of the distance, the endurance of the exposure, the endurance of the mind, um, and then the endurance of the sleep deprivation and, and challenges that arise with it. And, and unfortunately, whatever way I'm wired, all of those challenges and all of those things just pull me towards them, um, which has probably got me in trouble in different times in my life. But, you know, I, I, I love adversity. I've, I've learned through falling many times that um, when, you, when you face any type of big challenge or any type of adversity like this, the stuff that you gain from it, the knowledge, this, the, the fear, the, the, the stuff that you have to overcome uh, to get through an event like this, it, it's, it's huge, it's, it's life-changing. Um, and, and, and the Ice Ultra, organized by Beyond the Ultimate, um, an English company who, who set up these races, it, it delivered on so many levels for me. Um, you know, nothing like I ran one stage, it was 65k and I ran 64 and a half kilometers of that on my own. Um, and my snowshoes froze over as well, actually, that day. So my snowshoes froze to my, my training shoes. 
It's nothing like, you know, the darkness, the pain, the distance, the solidarity, um, the solitude of being out there on your own, nothing like that to kind of have you reflecting with your thoughts. God remember, there was no phone coverage out there. I couldn't go on to Instagram and start flicking to distract myself. Um, I, had a, I had a chat with, with my friend who was also doing it. He wanted me to run with him and I wouldn't. And I, I was like, look, you have to, as cheesy as this sounds, I said, you have to find the person you need to become to get through an event like this. And we all have that person there. Um, and I, I, like, I think everyone needs to find their, their ice ultra and get out there and, and experience that. What about the realities of running in snow, though? I mean, how different is that to running on the ground? Like, how can you even run in snow? Yeah, that became a challenge pretty quick. The first 14k was on a road and then onto an ice lake. So we didn't have our snowshoes. But we'd snowshoes strapped to our back. So you, you put your snowshoes on when you need them. Snowshoes are like kind of like a tennis racket um, that you strap onto your shoes. So it gives you a wider area of base on the snow so you don't sink as quick. Um, I we A lot of us had racing snowshoes. So they're kind of like a, a flip-flop in the sense that they're nearly molded to your, to your shoe. Um, and they're a bit smaller, but you can actually run in them. So you've, you're, the running stride completely changes. The running pace completely changes. You go from, you know, your traditional kind of running in a sense is effectively falling forward at a slight angle all the time and just allowing your legs to roll through it. Whereas uh, running in the snow is very much a lift your leg, place it, a plant it, lift the other foot, place it, plant it. Um, so it's a slower affair running in snow, um, and then we we ran. I mean, there was some there was a monster hill on day two. It was like climbing Snowdonia. It's the same um, altitude as that, same same amount of climbing, the same sorry as that. Uh, so like you add in in different variables like that, and it running sometimes turns into walking, which turns into like a march with with you, you snow you've poles in your hands. Um, but in general, look, like you just train for these things. I trained in the sand. I ran in the sand a lot. Um, so it's it's like deep, the deeper and softer the sand, the closer it is to running in, in deep, soft snow. Um, so you just train it. You get used to going slow. You get used to marching and you get your mind used to the rhythm. Um, and, and that's really where that's where I had to, had to go to get through this. Yeah, I mean, it sounds as much mental strength as physical strength. And I suppose you've touched on it, like finding what the challenge is for you and pushing yourself through to the other side of it to realise you're stronger than you thought you were. But it really boggles my mind, the kind of person that enters these ultra Mm -hmm. races. I mean, you mentioned Spencer Matthews there. I know he had to pull out because of COVID, but he's ran through the desert and done all kinds of different endeavours. And tell us a bit about John Shields, the guy that actually won this ice ultra. I looked on his page. I mean, he's won countless. He just goes back and back again for more. Who are these people? Yeah, this, uh, there's, I mean, they're a crazy bunch. I certainly won't be putting Ultra Runner onto my Instagram bio now. Like, uh, when, I, when I met these people, I was at, at the start, like everyone, there's a bit of an imposter syndrome. I'm like, holy mother of God. John Shields used to jump out of planes for the military. He's, you know, he's a proper seasoned athlete. He, um, he's tapped. He has 11 dogs, which, you know, I'm even more impressed by, aside from anything else. Uh, John's an ultra runner. He's ran and achieved some super, super things in his short enough career. He had a very serious knee injury from the, um, from the military which stopped all his running for a number of years but he finally got back into it um like i started off running beside him and then a girl who i can't i can't pronounce her name it was Lenka. 
um, who was Lenka was even more impressive than John. She actually won one of the stages as well. Um, and these guys, we started out running together at, in the top. Um, we were sitting together, the three of us at the start for the first 15K. And I very quickly looked around, realized there was no one with me and really, really realized I'd made a mistake. Uh, the guys, that was the only time I got to stand beside them basically for the whole race. They were just on a different level. You do find that there's a, a cult of people. That, there's, there's, a, there's a community of people that just go from race to race. Um, and, and ultra running is just their thing. They... Can, they've just got their mindset so adapted to it that it just doesn't take anything out of them. And as much as I was, you know, it was a big deal for me, and I, and I was blown away by the amount of support I got. And um, I felt I, I felt a little bit bad because there's people running these races all the time. That you know, this is just what they do. They, were, they a lot of these guys were talking about the next one they've signed up to, and I was simply going, right. All I need to do is get to the next marker, which is 50 meters away from me. Once I get to that, then I'll worry about the next marker. How much has life changed since you started saying yes? I mean, I'm sure it's not the first time, but yourself and your fiancé took off during the pandemic, decided to move countries with your two dogs. Now you've said yes to the ultra. Has life changed because you've started to say yes to, to bigger adventures? This is such a fantastic question and so relevant to, to our life. Um, so I would say I've tried my best my whole life to say yes and then come up with a way of doing something starting 2006 and um, i did an event with a, gr- a great guy called john o'regan um, and um, a man called ian mckeever who's sadly since passed we, we ran up and down the highest mountain in every county in ireland and um, someone i was getting acupuncture and someone said you should do this event would you be interested and i said yes um, and then found out what was involved and from there like so many amazing things happened in my career you know, personally, professionally, in all other ways. Um, so for us, we actually, I bought a picture in a shop, I think it was in Shells in Sligo and Strandhill a number of years ago. It was a quote, and the quote said, say yes to every adventure. Um, at the time, Adrian was working in marketing and doing her own bits and, you know, looking, looking for a little bit of a change in her life. And I bought her this uh, quote that said, say yes to every adventure. And... Um, and it kind of became a little bit of a motto for our lives in a lot of ways because when uh, the gym got closed down for whatever time it was, um, on the 7th of January 2020, I was rooting through a bag in my apartment and I found a little bracelet that I bought in a place called Peniche in Portugal a number of years previous to that. Um, and I just got this flashback of being there and it was very cheap to live there, learning to surf, all that sort of stuff. And I just said to Adrian, I was like, how about this? How about we just go? pack things up, hand the keys back to our apartment. We're going to be working online for the year. Why don't we go on an adventure? And Adrian said yes to the adventure. And on the 20th of January, then we end up driving and heading heading down to Portugal. And we've kept saying yes to every adventure that's came our way since. And Adrian definitely deserves a medal because it's I've dragged her all over the country and in and out of different houses. We've moved house many times, but we are... Uh, yeah, look, we're, we're, we're kind of remodeling our life in a sense to, you know, we've redesigned life to try and work as best we can amongst all the crap that went on with COVID. Um, and so far it's paid dividends. Um, and, you know, hopefully I think it is helping inspire other people to, to make changes and, and, and just say yes, because you just really never know what's going to happen once you take one step. And I know as cheesy as it sounds, like that's what got me through the race. Um, the race itself is 230 kilometers and um, one, one, one day is 42 kilometers in a straight line across a frozen lake. Like it's, it mentally pretty, pretty tough, but 
the course is marked out every say 50 to 100 meters there's a red little post on the ground it's a uh, it's marked out by the local sami people and um, and all i ever did for the entire race was run from one pole to the next i never ran 230 kilometers i only ever ran that distance in my head i was like right next pole and sometimes i had to walk but i, I made a rule with myself at the start that i wouldn't go from one pole to the next without running a minimum of 10 steps because sometimes it's very hard to run you're marching and uh, you're sore or you're you're in deep snow but regardless of the level um, i just ran that and that, and sometimes it was 10 steps and sometimes it was i'd run for 25 or 30 markers and um, and i think that's a way that i kind of live my life as well it's like sometimes if there's a 230 kilometer goal in front of you, you you'll be overwhelmed and you won't do it but if you just get to the next marker and set a little plan out to get from one to the next it is amazing what that big you know that big goal how it can be achieved with those little bite-sized chunks I absolutely love that your enthusiasm for life is infectious and as you say there's a lesson for everyone it's all relative whatever people's personal challenge or adventure is it's so important to say yes if you want to find out more about John Belton you can go to at John Belton and at number 17 personal training keep going John keep saying yes thank you so much for talking to me today thanks for having me Claire so that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week my thanks to my producer Sarah Ruan and Jojo Cordoza who was on sound and thanks to you for listening I will see you next week Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk.